Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL as we're ram as we're in the playoffs now. We'll be talking about NFL betting segment Jack's Pack. We will be discussing the NBA, and then we will have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We have an absolutely loaded, jam-packed show. A lot of NFL, a lot of NBA. Now we're going to touch on college football playoff. Um, but we're going to jump right into NFL Week 18. Before we do, I want to tell all you guys, welcome to the new year. I hope your resolutions are going well. Um, I hope that you are living in better health and stuff this year. Um, but let's jump right into the NFL Week 18 um, huge weekend, absolutely huge weekend in the NFL. Um, and we're going to talk about games that ultimately decided what we're going to talk about in our next segment, which is the Super Wild Card Weekend. Um, the first game, the biggest game that set the entire AFC up for drama was the Indianapolis Colts versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, as you guys know, I'm a Carson Wentz guy. And when Carson Wentz is going down in Philly, you know, I was one of those ones saying like, yeah, Wentz isn't playing great, but, but Philadelphia is a mess. Um, you know, they robbed Doug Peterson of his freedom, Jeffrey Lurie and Nick Howie Roseman, which is causing all kind of drama and pain. Look at the injuries, look at the roster, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then he got to the Colts. I'm like, yeah, it's perfect. They basically gave up. They didn't give up anything besides a couple of picks, which is players that may or may not work. Uh, you land him with Jonathan Taylor. You land him with that offensive line. They got some weapons, a defense. I'm, I'm seeing 11 and 6 in my head, you know. But I think I had him having that 10 and 7 because, like, first year, it's going to take them a while to get their bearings rolling. But once they start rolling, they probably won't lose much. And they started off 0 and 3. They went down, and then they fought their way up. And they got to the sweet spot. And, you know, the season developed. And I tweeted when they were 1-4 and four that they had to be 5-5 five and five, or they had no chance. Um, and they ended up getting to 5-5. Five and five. And then they went on this win streak. Uh, and then they kind of they got to two weeks ago. And they got to the game versus the Raiders. The Colts' magic number was 1. I spoke about magic numbers a lot towards the end of the year. The Colts' magic number was 1. They needed one win. I mean, if they lost both games, they needed a bunch of other stuff to happen. But to get in, they needed one win out of their last two. They had Vegas. And they had Jacksonville. And many people figured, okay, if they lose to Vegas, they'd beat Jacksonville. As we know, they lost to Vegas. Um, Derek Carr had a great fourth quarter. Um, outgunned Carson Wentz a little bit. Vegas gets in. Or Vegas gets to set up their game, which is became the most important game of the weekend. Then you get Indianapolis versus Jacksonville. Send Jacksonville. You know, but who cares? Jacksonville's not playing for anything. The only people really playing for anything is Vets trying to find their next team if they're moving on, and Daryl Bevel trying to secure the head coaching spot permanently instead of on an interim basis. And Carson Wentz laid a goddamn egg. Lay an egg. There's no other way for me to put it. Um, he laid an egg. 
of course, as the egg was happening, people were uh, mentioning me, saying that, oh, Justin, I thought Carson was your guy, and pulling up old posts I made about how Winston's going to get them to the playoffs, etc. Um, and remember, I had them winning the division. That got thrown at me as well. And he laid a damn egg. The Indianapolis Colts invested a first and a third round pick into him. Not because they think, oh, we're going to just be a solid team. They thought they were going to be in playoff, damn sure in the playoffs, but with a legitimate chance at making a run in the playoffs. Because think about it. Remove quarterbacks from most of these teams. teams their teams are not even. They have a top offensive line. They have the first team all pro running back. Um, receiving Cork Houston, work with Michael Pittman's a legit one. Uh, two good tight ends. That defense is rolling. Could use another safety, but that defense is rolling. Um, could use another linebacker, really. But all in all, that's a, that's a top seven roster in the NFL. If you remove quarterbacks from everybody's roster, that's a top seven roster in the NFL. And then watching Wildcard Weekend with me, you and I, with me, you and the rest of your family. It's unacceptable. Chris Ballard was pissed. He deserved to be. Who was the GM of the Colts? Who I'm sure made that move under the advisement of head coach Frank Wright, who, of course, as we know, was the offensive coordinator for Carson Wentz, would have been MVP season in 2017. Chris Ballard was pissed because he was asked about uh, does he basically does he regret the move get traded for Carson? He said at the time, no. He says I still don't regret moving making the move at the time. Basically, I regret the hell out of it now because I, I moved a first round pick that I could have went got a quarterback with on a rookie scale contract um, because they missed the playoffs. So that pick's gonna be what 18, 17, 18, 16, 18, somewhere in there. That could be Kenny Pickett. That could be Sam Howell. That could be Malik Wills. Um, I put a lot of money into it where I could have gotten me another receiver. I could have gotten me another safety. And again, that quarterback on a rookie contract. Hell yeah, he's pissed. He had to restrain himself and visibly calm himself down during the press conference. Wentz let a lot of people down. That team, Hard Knocks, that team, like I said, in Hard Knocks, the show, was built on the fact that that team was basically going to get in the playoffs. And really, Hard Knocks had planned on staying with them all the way through the Super Bowl. Um, you know, if they were to make it that far, because they had blocked off enough time for everybody for them to go to the Super Bowl. And the fact that um, they missed it is, is, is a travesty, not only on Carson Wentz, it's a travesty on Frank Wright. You vouch for Wentz. You, me, Darren Olofsky, other people vouch for Wentz. But in the room... It was Frank White on the table saying, if we go get him, we can do this. And he even saw it, we even saw it in Hard Knocks um, when it went through that pass rolling left. Frank Wright, that episode, was standing on the table again saying, yeah, it was me being the driving force in the room to go get Wentz. Um, and so massive disappointment in Indianapolis. Um, but by this game happening, Carson Wentz wet in the bed and laying an egg, it set up the rest of the weekend. So when the Colts lost, the Steelers' door flew wide open. And all they had to do was beat Tyler Huntley and the Ravens. And they tried their best not to. Um, this game was a back-and-forth game. It was a classic AFC North game where it seemed like neither offense wanted to win. But both defenses wanted to ruin the other person's day. Um, Back-and-forth between the teams. Tyler Huntley would make a play. But then the drive fall out. Big Ben will make one of his signature plays. And then the driver stall out. They get a good run, and then the driver stall out. You know, and so they went back and forth. Ultimately, the Steelers kick a field goal. Boom, they're in. 
make a field goal, Chris Boswell, Chris Boswell makes a game-winning field goal. They are in. And then that set up the dream scenario. That set up the ultimate what if. That sets up the ultimate it can't be real. And if Hollywood was scripted, you would think it was fake. You would immediately know it was a fake. Not based on two events at all. It set up the Sunday night game, the last game of the season. The NFL waited to announce the time of games for this exact reason to make sure that the last possible game of the season meant the most. And that's exactly what they achieved by having Raiders Chargers uh, be the final game. It used to be game 256. I'm not sure what the number is now, but they were the final game. And the reason why it was the most intriguing, quirky game is because the Raiders and the Chargers could have tied and both made the playoffs Um, by virtue of win percentage and other tiebreakers. They would have taken the six and seven spots and knocked off Pittsburgh, who was literally rooting in this game for anybody to win. They just did not. They didn't care who won. Either one of them won the Pittsburgh Steelers won the playoffs and was presumed to be Big Ben's final season. And this game got real dicey down the end. Um, The Raiders took a 15-point lead, which 15 is a hard throw to tie. Many people were watching how far the distance was for the tie. It was 15 points, and then the Chargers stormed back, including Justin Herbert being perfect on the fourth downs, um, especially on that last drive. I think he went four for four, three for three on fourth downs. Um, throwing absolute strikes all over the place, including a rocket ball between two defenders for the game tying touchdown and then getting the two point conversion on the ensuing play uh, to get the game in the overtime. And then, of course, in the overtime, the Raiders go down the field, they kick, they kick the field goal. The Chargers go down the field. They kicked the field goal. So now it is setting up to where it is a situation where the tie is very, very plausible. Um, the Raiders had a ball around midfield. It's about two minutes left. Um, the game is tied. And people, many people, myself included, are going, my God, they're going to tie and get in. Um, they're going to tie Pittsburgh to see if Pittsburgh would cry because, man, the only thing we have to root for is the 98% of games in NFL history. Don't end in ties. <laughs> you know, there's one of those 2% situations where the game is a tie. Um, and then the game to the flashpoint moment that many people have stuck out to and gravitated on, which is it's third down. Raiders have the ball. They're out of little out of field range. They're at the 40 something. Now, I think the Raiders try to kick anyway because you never know. If it goes in, you're in the playoffs. If it doesn't, you're in the playoffs. Um, and they're sitting around the 40 some odd yard line. Brandon Staley, it's about. 40, 45, 50 seconds left. Brandon Staley called the timeout. Head coach of the Chargers. You're on the field, call the timeout. Now, he is effectively the defensive coordinator. He has a DC, yes, but Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. His his claim to fame was being the DC for Sean McVay's Rams. So he runs on the field, call the timeout. When he called the timeout, many people believe that changed the Raiders' mindset. Because, again, it was third down. The Chargers had two timeouts at the time he called it, so he had one more timeout. Well, okay, if you're the Raiders, you're third down, you hand the ball off into the line and or take a knee, what happens? Charge call another timeout, you have to punt back to them, and we just saw what Justin Herbert could do. Who knows? Well, the Raiders, the Chargers call the timeout, and they do switch a couple of personnel people. They switch in some heavier packages to stop the run. Raiders hand the ball off, they get the first down, set up the field goal, kick game winning field goal. Many people believe that 
the Raiders are not at that point going to go for it. But they're going to take a knee. They're going to ride right into the middle of the line. Basically, just decide, all right, we're in. Let's just do something super, super safe. And if the Chargers get in, so be it. We won't see them to the AFC Championship game if we both get there. Who cares? Um, and so... I don't think that was his intention. I don't think his intention was to try and get the ball back. I legitimately think he thought they were going to run the ball. And obviously they did run the ball. But they were going to run the ball, and he wanted to make sure they got the stop. So he switched in defensive personnel. He got in different people. Um, and ultimately, it may have burned them. Uh, there's a video, although I'm never really good at reading lips, where Austin Eckler asked one of the Ravens players, were you guys going to nail it? And the Ravens player gives him an answer, and Eckler just rocks back, almost like it was a yeah. Almost like it was a, yeah, we had decided we were going to just get out, you know? Because, again, the whole goal in that game was to not lose. A tie means you're in the playoffs. A win means you're in the playoffs. So, at that point, you just didn't want to lose the game. So, maybe the Raiders, uh, with the interim head coach, decide, all right, it's too risky to run with a pass player or something like that. You never know what could happen. Let's just take a knee. We're fairly healthy. We'll get into the playoffs, and we'll go play, you know? Um... But ultimately, Daniel Carlson drills a 47-yard field goal um, to put the Las Vegas Raiders into the playoffs and eliminate the Los Angeles Chargers, also putting in the Pittsburgh Steelers, which Steelers coach Mike Tomlin admits he didn't see the ending. He went to sleep. He went to sleep and woke up in the playoffs, um, which is an incredible feeling, I'm sure, for Mike Tomlin going through the adversity he has gone through this season. Now, another game that carried a lot of playoff momentum, and it kind of killed some of the drama because of how it went was 49ers and Rams. So this game had a lot of historical context to it. For instance, the 49ers held the spot the Saints were trying to get. So the Saints had already handled their business in Atlanta or was handling their business in Atlanta simultaneously. Well, the 49ers needed to win the game in order to keep that playoff spot. 49ers lose, Saints win, Saints are in, 49ers are out. Also, Sean McVay has not beaten Kyle Shanahan in three years. He's 6-0. He's won his last six contests against um, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan has. And so he was holding a feather in the cap of the young offensive genius quarterback race that he, Cliff Kingsbury, um, Sean McVay, um, they're all racing the same race. Ironically, they're all in the same division. But, you know, so Sean McVay was looking at a way to flip the fortunes that he has been dealing with with Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan was looking for a way to clinch his playoff spot. San Fran was in a very win-and-you're-in kind of situation. Um, the Raiders, uh, not the Raiders, I'm sorry. The uh, the Rams were in, and you just matter what seed they were going to be. Um, and so that game was a back-and-forth game. Stafford made some great plays. Uh, and the Rams took a 17-3 halftime lead, which, as we know, the Rams don't lose if Sean McVay takes a halftime lead. And so that they were up 17-3, and really the Niners – didn't really do much of anything to even get the three. Um, and then the 49ers came out and played 49er football. Um, it was rough. It was tough. It was physical. It was mean. Um, a lot of power. A lot of bricks and people back pockets. Um, and they were absolutely dominant in that second half. Uh, Booed on by a decent home field advantage. Um, the Rams admitted afterwards that they were shocked by the by the number of 49ers fans in attendance, even saying that it messed with their offensive signals because of the crowd noise. San Fran is not too far away from LA, so I, I mean them traveling was not a huge deal. 
But, you know, you, you still don't want that many fans of the opposing team in your arena. And it ended with Matt Stafford throwing some great passes, including one to Odell, um, to get the Rams back tied once we announced the lead. But at the same time, it also ended with a Matt Stafford underthrow of about seven yards to Odell Beckham. I mean, when the ball came down and where the ball should have been, we're probably five to seven yards apart. Um, Matt Stafford throws the game ceiling interception to the roar of their uh, road crowd and to the chagrin and the pain of the New Orleans Saints fan base as they were eliminated um, by the San Francisco 49ers thanks to that interception. And one of the worst days in the NFL that we know is coming every year is Black Monday um, or Bloody Monday, depending on who you ask. It is when the Monday after the NFL season finishes, a lot of coaches lose, a lot of coaches and general managers lose their job. About a fourth of the league goes through this every year. Um, position coaches as well go through this. Um, and the um, and the coaches that were released, the coaches that were let go, the coaches that were removed uh, from their teams. Um, so there's not eight NFL openings in the NFL, which is a quarter of the league. Um, obviously, John Gruden resigned earlier in the year following the email scandals um, that he was going through, other character assassinations uh, that he went through. But you have John Gruden with the Raiders. Joe Judge was fired by the New York Giants, along with the Giants uh, general manager, uh, Dave Gettleman, retiring. David Cudley was fired by the Houston Texans. However, GM Nick, Nick Casario along with the rest of the management team, will stay in place. Brian Flores was shockingly fired by the Miami Dolphins. GM Chris Greer will stay in place. Rumor has it that's why Flores is out. Him and Greer got into a power struggle, and Greer won. Uh, hinged on Deshaun Watson. He's on Deshaun Watson and Tua Tagovailoa. Matt Nagy was fired by the Chicago Bears, along with GM Ryan Pace. Um, Ryan Pace should have been gone. He was making per- terrible player personnel decisions. Um... Man, A, he was doing the best he could, but he was linked, unfortunately, to Ryan Pace. So, uh, Matt Nagy is gone. Mike Zimmer is gone from the Minnesota Vikings. Um, good coach. Some, some, might even, I might even venture to great coach. However, he's been there too long without sustained winning, and his voice or his message may have been uh, stale. You have Vic Vangio of the Denver Broncos, another coach I believe that was hamstrung by lack of quarterback production. And again, his defense is always great. He's a, he's a great defensive mind, um, and I believe he's a solid candidate head coach. It's just his record is a little indefensible, although his quarterback play has been a big determinant in that. And lastly, Urban Meyer, as we all know, was fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars um, about a month ago, maybe even a little more for a myriad of issues that he was going through as well but up next we are going to shift to the nfl and talk about what's going down on wild card weekend back into the show and now we're going to talk about super wild card weekend the nfl playoffs are here people we have um waited a long time several months 
18 weeks what's that four and a half months um to get to this point for those teams in the playoffs those 14 teams in the playoffs congratulations um it's not as exclusive as it used to be with a 12 team playoff uh, but 14 teams in the playoffs nfl still have one of the more exclusive playoffs with less than 50 percent of their teams making it um so if you're one of those 14 lucky franchises or 14 lucky fan bases congratulations if you are not, if you're one of those 18 franchises that did not make it, sucks for you. Um, but the NFL draft could be very promising if you're looking for an offensive lineman, pass rusher, or cornerback. You know, it could be a very promising draft for you. You can be you're, you're looking forward to April for the NFL draft, or February if you're just a huge football fan for the Super Bowl. Um, but me, my team's in the Patriots, and on top of that, I'm a huge football fan. Um, so I'm good. If we, if we didn't make it, I was going to be watching games all weekend. We did make it. So I'm going to be watching games all weekend with an extra focus on that one um, for obvious reasons. But let's jump right into it. Uh, we're going to do the games, how they come on on TV, how they come in order. So the first game we're going to talk about is the Raiders at the Bengals. Now, I will not pick any winners this section. The reason I will not pick any winners this section is because I am picking every single game for the rest of the playoffs for Jack's Pack. Uh, we did an amazing record last year. We only missed one playoff game last year. I believe it was in Wildcard Weekend. Um, and so we're going to continue that. Uh, we're going to continue that streak going into this year. Uh, but I will not pick any winners this segment. Save them all for Jack's Pack. Um, but for the game, we're going to start off with the Raiders and the Bengals. Hey, this is a game of two teams no one saw coming. No one had the Raiders in the playoffs. They had two AFC West teams in. But it was the Chargers, not the Raiders. Um, and yeah, they had the obviously the AFC North champion was in, but it was Baltimore. Cleveland was a hot pick. Pittsburgh, not so much. No one had Cincinnati. Um, two teams I believe I was wrong on. I didn't have the Raiders in the playoffs, and I didn't have the Bengals in the playoffs. Um, and so, but there, there's two teams that don't look alike. For the Raiders, you pretty much got to run the ball with Josh Jacobs, hit your tight end with Darren Waller, and have your passers come off the edge and cause havoc. Matt Crosby um, and company causing havoc. The Raiders have an interim head coach, the first interim head coach to make the playoffs in 50, 60 years, uh, in, um, in the Raiders head coach. They've got a GM who's a TV guy. Mike Mayock was on TV. A few years ago, needs a GM of the Raiders. They have the poorest owner in the NFL. They do have one of the cooler stadiums in the Death Star in Vegas. Um, they're hosting the Super Bowl next year, 2023, I believe. One of the two, 2023-2024. The Raiders will have the Super Bowl. Um, I've seen it in person. It's a beautiful place. I've only seen the outside, and I've seen it under construction. But um, absolutely beautiful facility. And they got a veteran leader in Derek Carr. Now, Derek Carr, his best plays like he's the top five guy at times at his worst play like he's a replaceable starter um but the teams don't look like each other you flip to the other side it's youth explosion everywhere on offense joe burrow is in his second year jamar chase is a rookie um boyd is younger higgins is young um joe mixon is their running back i don't even i can't name a tight end they have on the roster um both the two things the teams do share similarity and neither one have great offensive lines um, I speak out the Bengals lineup all the time is that they're great individually, not so great as a unit. 
Um, so they, I mean, the greatest union, not so great individually. So if they can, they can block stunts, they can block twist games, all that stuff. They can block that. If you isolate them one v one and just work pass rush moves, you can beat them. Um, as opposed to the Raiders, I don't think they're good at any sort of blocking. If it's blocking and it's the Raiders, pick a different subject, please. Um, but these two teams, very explosive. However, Derek Carr can go get 30-40. We've seen Joe Burrow. Okay, you want to go pass him home? Let's go. And go get 35, 38 points, whatever he had to beat the uh, the Chiefs. Um, we've seen him get in shootouts and put up big, big numbers on the Ravens. Um, you know, two coaches are very in, in unproven. You got Ivy at the interim coach for the Raiders, uh, Sakria, I believe was his name. And then you have Zach Taylor in his second year as the Bengals uh, league guy. So, a lot of some similarities, some differences. Um, but I would definitely um, keep her eye on this game. It's going to be a very exciting way to open the playoffs. I predict something high scoring. So if the over is, if the over under is anything under 50, go for the over. I don't see, I mean, neither one of these teams have great secondaries. Both of them have great offenses. So I would expect this to be a high scoring contest that obviously we will pick in Jack's pack. Up next, and to close out Saturday night, the game I am the most interested in, the game that I will probably have pizza and wings or wings and fries or something in the wings, so like wings in my future, um, Saturday night, um, which is Patriots at Bills. Um, now, we've seen this. this obviously, this, it's, the, it's a divisional game, and it is the first divisional game of the weekend, um, but it's a divisional contest, and they those teams are split. We seen when they went in Buffalo, the Patriots ran the Bills into oblivion. We seen in Foxborough, the Bills air raided the Patriots basically, um, put Mac Jones in an untenable situation of coming from behind a decent deficit. And Mac played one of his worst games of his rookie year. Um, again, teams that don't teams that mirror each other in construct, but one's further along in the development than the other one. Um, obviously, Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. He has the advantage over Sean McDermott, but both are defensive guys. Both, however, carry high-level office coordinators. That would be Brian Dable of the Buffalo Bills and Josh McDaniels of the New England Patriots. Um, you know, and then you've got two quarterbacks who can be up, who can be down. Josh Allen at his peak can be an MVP. At his valley could be a replaceable starter. Mac Jones at his peak is looking like a top 10 quarterback in his valley. He's a rookie. Um, you got two teams. One team has to throw the ball to be successful, which is the Bills. The other has to run the ball to be successful. That's the Patriots. Um, the Patriots probably worst athlete at the quarterback. The Bills the best athlete is a quarterback. Um, the, the Bills have a great receiver in Stephon Diggs. The Patriots have a great tight end, Hunter Henry or John Lou Smith. Um, so it's just you see teams that mirror each other and what they kind of have to do in terms of personnel wise, but do not mirror each other in the way they attack the game. Um, both are led by defensive guys. Like I said, a divisional opponent. Uh, the Patriots had that re- crazy three pass attempt victory in Buffalo. Josh Allen returned the favor and went air raid on them in Foxborough. Um, so I expect a high level clash between two teams that are extremely high level competitors. Um, for Bill Belichick, obviously, this is his first playoff run since the Tom Brady era ended. Um, for um, the Buffalo Bills, they're trying to 
officially in the reign of the Patriots in the AFC East. They've won the East back-to-back times for the first time in who knows how long. Um, But at the same time, if the Patriots go out and beat you in the playoffs in your building, what's it for? Um, The weather would be a huge factor in this one, along with the next game we'll talk about. But the weather would be a huge factor in this one. It's the high for the game supposed to be zero. You heard me correctly. Zero. Uh, it's expected to be the high for the game. Uh, it's supposed to be feel like uh, 11 below as the high. So it might feel like 20 below, 22 below by the time the game is over. Um, going to be Ice Bowl Part 2. Luckily, I don't, there aren't, there's any precipitation in the air. So there won't be any snow flurries or anything like that. But it will be a cold, windy game in Buffalo, New York. Reminds you of the first game where the Patriots ran all over the Bills and ran them ultimately out of the stadium. The Eagles at the Bucks. Now, this game has been billed as a contest between the halves and the half-nots. Um, a lot of people are picking this game as the blowout of the weekend, but those people have not looked at the weather report. I spoke about it in the Bills and Patriots game, that this game will be affected by weather. This would be the most weather-affected game in probably the playoffs. Um, put these teams on dry ground. I've got the Bucks by 15 or more. However, with the way the, the weather is coming in, it's supposed to be a Tampa Bay Memorial Monsoon, um, rain and wind and all the other stuff. Well, when there's adverse conditions, the better quarterback and the more high-powered offense is affected. Obviously, Tom Brady is better than Jalen Hurts. Obviously, an offense led by Tom Brady will be more explosive and high-powered than an offense led by Jalen Hurts. Therefore... Jalen Hurts and that Eagles have a top run. They got the top run game. Where they're in a position in this kind of weather conditions to not get hit as much. They'll be slipping out of tackles. To not have to rely on throwing the ball. So they will not have to go about footing necessarily on the routes and stuff like that. Um they will they don't have an Antonio Brown cloud hanging over them. Um so the Eagles are in a good spot. However, the Bucks have the GOAT. They got the GOAT. They could be getting Levante, David, and Leonard Fournette back this week, although I doubt it. I haven't heard anything about it. Um, and the day before the game, I would hear something. Um, so that would be a deciding factor as well, or it won't be a deciding factor because you've seen them play without those two guys now for a minute. Um, Bruce Arians against Nick Sirianni, uh, defending champions at home, adverse conditions, could, will be a very interesting game, and that is to start off Sunday. The middle game on Sunday is the San Francisco 49ers uh, at the Dallas Cowboys. Um, this game's been a popular underdog pick because you ever heard that phrase, style makes fights? Well, the style of the 49ers is to be a dominant run game. The style of the Cowboys is to not stop the run game. Um, so I expect the San Francisco 49ers to run all over the Dallas Cowboys. But, but on the flip side of that, the 49ers have no secondary. Well, Dallas wants to throw the ball. They have Dak Prescott. They have CeeDee Lamb. They have Amara Cooper. They have Cedric Wilson. They have Tony Pollard. They have that offensive line to pass block. And they have Zeke, who will catch the case on the pass out of the backfield. So, with all that being said, these two teams are perfect antecedents of each other. Whatever one does well, the other one is terrible at uh, stopping. And so... It's all about who has the ability to manage their weaknesses better. Um, can the 49ers run through that porous Cowboys defense? Or will the Cowboys ultimately stand up and stand uh, 
out against the Niners. But conversely, can that Niners secondary improve in the way Dak Prescott is throwing all over the yard on them? So we're definitely going to keep our eye on that one. Again, that is the middle game of Sunday. And then the Sunday night contest is the predicted blowout of the weekend, the popular blowout of the weekend, including Vegas having, I think it's 12 and a half, um, which is the Steelers at the Chiefs. Um, Big Ben's last ride is is, is this playoffs. Um, I fully believe he's going to retire after the season, um, but this is Big Ben's, like I said, last ride. But they're facing a bus on Kansas City. Um, Kansas City is playing really, really well. Um, they're playing elite level football um, on offense, and they're going up and down on defense. But with that offense, you don't need to be the 85 Bears. You just need to not be incompetent. And so um, by no means are the Chiefs defense incompetent. So therefore, the Chiefs have a really good chance of winning. But if you're the Steelers, man, you've got the story on, on your side. You've got the um, news article on the side. You have the um, Justin Time Sports podcast you know on your side in the way of Ben going out with a Super Bowl would be insane right and so that is the kind of situation that both sides are going through right now um and then lastly the Monday night game is our second division uh game it's Cardinals versus Rams now this game is very very intriguing for a lot of reasons one, the Cardinals are really, really good on the road. Not so great at home. Two, these two teams have played each other. When the Cardinals went into that building against the Rams, they won. However, when the Rams came back into Arizona's building, they won. Um, Arizona plays really, really well outside of the ring. I mean, outside of the um, arena. They play a home arena. They play really, really well Um which is an interesting situation because they struggle at times at home. So um, that would be an interesting development to watch and keep our eye on um, most definitely. But up next, we're going to shift to our NFL segment, Jack's Pack. show and now we're going to jump right into our nfl betting segment jack's pack so we finished the regular season with a struggle um pretty much how i thought that last week was going to go i told you guys i don't love any of the numbers to be honest um and that week 18 is always tricky because you're forced to bet on games and teams you may not normally bet on because teams are not playing guys they're playing people um, etc. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know, okay, this team may play these guys X amount of time. Like, for instance, one of the games I was going to go on was Lions. That was my game. I said, man, I would jump all over the Lions if I knew how long the Packers were going to play their guys. They ended up playing them to the half, basically. Um, and then the Lions made a comeback. Eagles, I would have jumped on the Eagles thinking, oh, Cowboys going to play them a while. Garner Minshew's better than whatever. You know, but the Eagles made the comeback. Dak and them played all the way through, damn near through the fourth quarter. Um, so that week's always a tricky week. We end up going one and four. 
finishing with a 43-47 record um, in Jack's Pack, which is not the record we were obviously hoping for uh, this year. Again, I want to be near that um, 55% mark, which would get us to professional gambling level. We end up finishing with a 48% mark. So not a terrible losing year, but a losing year nonetheless. However, we are going to change that this year in the playoffs. We did it last year, and we are going to do it this year um, in these picks. So we are going to change how things are uh, going for us this postseason because, I'm going to be honest, some of these picks, they're just natural. Um, they feel good. A lot of underdogs this week because um, <clears throat> a lot of press and a lot of people. Um, but I'm going to jump right into this first game. Obviously, we talked about all the games. So we're going to just pretty much pick unless there's a couple of notes I want to make. We're just going to pretty much pick the games. So the first game is Raiders at Bengals. Uh, Bengals minus five and a half. Take the Bengals. Yeah, they're at home. The Bengals basically had a bye week. Um, the Raiders coming off the biggest French win in franchise in what 20 years <laughs> pretty much since the chuck rule is the biggest win they had in their franchise um the Bengals, like i said basically had a bye week jamar chase set joe burrow set joe mason set um a lot of the key defensive guys set and so they are ready to go you know and um i got the Bengals covering that five and a half they just got they just got too much offense the, the, if the tackles play decent um They'll score 35, 40 points. I've got the Bengals winning this game comfortably of uh, 38-22. Patriots at Bills. Um, you guys know I'm a Patriots fan, so it could be a Patriot homer pick. But I've got Patriots plus four over the Bills. Um, I'm not confident enough to have the Patriots win this game. But I do think the game's going to be low scoring and close. Bad weather. Horrible weather. The, 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 bet of, the bet on this is the under. I leave the under is 47 and a half. Take the under. There's no way they get to 47 points. Um, the weather is absolutely terrible in this game. Like I said, it's going to be freezing cold. You know, it's Buffalo. The wind's going to be whipping. Um, any kind of precipitation is going to absolutely tank both offenses. Um, so I've got the Patriots covering the four. Although they may not win the game, um, I've got them covering the four. I've got it right now at 2017 Buffalo. Eagles at Bucks. Eagles plus eight and a half. Take the Eagles. Now, the Eagles are not winning this game. I refuse to believe that Jalen Hurts will beat Tom Brady in the playoff game. I'm not doing it. I'm not even going to entertain the thought. However, I will entertain the thought that Jalen Hurts will keep it close to eight and a half points in a monsoon against Tom Brady. Um, the Eagles have one have the top rushing attack, if not one of the top, one of if not the top rushing attack in the NFL. That Buccaneers defense is not whole yet. Levante Davis is coming back from his practice window. Leonard Fournette, even though he's on offense, big time ball control player, has never fumbled as a buck. Um, I mean, he only has one fumble as a buck. He's just came back from his practice window. So it's going to be Rojo, where they kind of have a fumbling problem in the rain. That may kill a driver, too. Obviously, no Godwin. Obviously, no AB. Mike Evans is limping. Gronk's going to be there. This game is another game. Pick the under. Um, I don't see either team scoring that many points, and I do think it's going to be really, really close. I've got the Buccaneers winning, although they will not cover 
Up next, we have the 49ers and the Cowboys. The 49ers, the Cowboys' first home playoff game in years. Uh, they're hosting it in Jerry World. Oh, they had a playoff game last year. I'm sorry. Uh, they're hosting it in Jerry World. It's going to be a spectacular show. Jerry Jones is already talking about increasing the standing room only from his normal effect to over 100,000. Um, to pack as many Cowboy fans in there as he can. Uh, maybe not the smartest of moves, given the time we live in. But he is trying to pack as many Cowboys fans in there as he can. He's trying to create a home field advantage. Um, it was absolutely, it, it's a beautiful stadium. Every time you see it, it's amazing. Especially at night when the fog hits. And all you see across the skyline is AT&T Stadium. It's spectacular. Um, but, remember I say style make fights? I don't like the style. Of the Cowboys against the style of the 49ers. I think the 49ers win this game outright. Um, I believe they win the game outright 27 23. Um, the Cowboys are one and done, and most of America is crying. Steelers at Chiefs. This was the game, but the blowout's coming. The Chiefs are minus 12 and a half, and I joked with a couple of friends this week. I said, unless it's 20 and a half, take the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs would not have Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That broke all of a few minutes ago. Um, but they don't really, I mean, it's running back. I mean, if they still got Travis Kelsey and they still got Tyree Hill, they'll be fine. Um, but the Chiefs are uh, going to blow the Steelers out. The Steelers don't have enough. I mean, the Steelers, I don't think, has the Steelers scored over 21 points in the past two months? If they did, I remember it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're telling me okay, the, the Steelers get the 17, the Chiefs can get the 30? Now, T.J. Watt will be a problem. T.J. Watt will be an issue. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of chips uh, and, and picks and stuff like that, quick passes. T.J. Watt will cause problems. But Big Ben's going to throw that bad pick. You know what's coming. Um, they're going to do something. You know, it's just it's too much, Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs going to cut. Chiefs, I have the Chiefs winning this game fairly, I mean, easily. Um, I have them winning 31-13, and Big Ben's career ends in painful fashion. Not Dan Marino, 62-7. Fashion, but it will end pretty brutally. Uh, 31 13 uh, Chiefs and Cardinals at Rams. Cardinals plus four. Take the Cardinals again. Not ready to say the Cardinals are gonna win this game, but plus four. If it was three, I'm picking the Rams. I mean, I'm just got three, I'm picking the Rams, but to say this game could be more than a four, more than a field goal game. I got the Cardinals right now. Again, I'm not prepared to pick the Cardinals to win the game just yet. But it's going to be a very close game. Um, Matthew Stafford has the weight of the world on his shoulders. We talk about the compensation that the Colts paid for Wentz. They doubled that for um, Matt Stafford. LA did. I think it was two first-round picks, Jared Goff and another player or another pick or something like that. Um, To get Matt Stafford in LA. All the pressure in the world's on him. Not to mention you added Odell Beckham. You traded a pick for Von Miller. You um, obviously Jalen Ramsey's paid. Aaron Donald's paid. Though it's a lot of pressure on these guys. Sean McVay. The last time he was in the playoffs and really made a run was that Super Bowl where he lost to Bill Belichick. With the offense went away in that Super Bowl. Um, and I, I think the beginning to the end of the Jared Goff era. Um, so a lot of different p- people have a lot of different pressures on them for the LA team. The Cardinals are playing with house money. This is Kyler Murray's first playoff game. Matt Stafford's third. He's 0-2. This is Kyler Murray's first playoff game. Cliff Kingsbury's first playoff game. They still have no DeAndre Hopkins. James Conner is a 50-50 go. 
JJ Watt's coming back, so that'll help Chandler Jones. But most of these guys, as first, I don't has JJ Watt ever been in the playoffs? I mean, Houston didn't win in the division much, so a lot of these guys are playing with house money. I think the Cardinals come in there on the road, first playoff game for a lot of their guys, first meaningful playoff game probably for JJ Watt in his career with a legitimate team. Um, who knows what these guys are going to do? But they're going to be incredibly loose. I think, the, I think the Rams are going to play tight, man. If the Rams win it, there may be a last second field goal. If they're going to play tight. Um, right now, I have the Rams winning 27 24. But if that score flips uh, in the next 24 hours, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. I, mean, if I flip it in my head 24 hours, but that four is a pretty decent number. I like the number uh, for the Cardinals. So we're going to go with the Cardinals plus four over the Rams. Um, so just to recap, we've got Cincinnati minus five and a half over the Raiders, uh, Patriots plus four over the Bills, Eagles plus eight and a half over the Bucks, 49ers plus three over the Cowboys, Chiefs minus 12 and a half over the Steelers and Cardinals plus four over the Rams. Up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. talk about the nba and what's going down there as always we jump into a new sport what do we do we take a look at the standings um out east we have bulls heat nets bucks sixers cleveland so those would be the six automatic qualifiers as you guys know we have the play-in tournament it's a permanent thing now so the top six automatic qualifiers seven through ten which i will not name have to fight it out in the play-in tournament to get the last two playoff spots and that would be seven Charlotte, eight Toronto. Those teams will host the first round of play in. Washington nine, Boston ten, with the Knicks tied at uh, with Boston at eleven. Um, and then our West, we have Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, Utah, Dallas, Denver, would hold the last automatic qualifying spot at six. Then we have Lakers seven, Clippers eight, Minnesota nine, Portland ten. Um, and within one game of 10, we have Sacramento 11, Pelicans 12, Spurs 13. Um, and so, obviously looking at those standings, a few shocking teams, a few not so shocking teams. Obviously, obviously they're dealing with injuries. For instance, Portland, I think, is about to fall on their face. They're 4-7 without Dame or something like that already this season. And he's out 6-8 to eight weeks within um, abdominal and abdomen surgery to fix an injury there. Obviously, they don't have TJ McCollum. He's been he's out indefinitely due to a collapsed lung. It has fully repaired, but now he has fully healed rather. But now he's trying to figure out what his next steps are in his life, along with his basketball career. Um, so Portland's gonna fall on their face. So I expect Portland out of that mix. Uh, Sacramento now is discussing potential deer and fox trades. If they were to pull that trade off, out of that mix. Uh, the Clippers are gonna fall a bit ways because Kawhi may or may not play this season, and Paul George is out for an extended period of time. They're going to come out of that mix. So teams like the Pelicans, you're in a prime spot. You're chilling. You're hanging out. 
you're waiting. Why? The Pelicans are starting to heat up. Uh, they're starting to get continuity together. Maybe they got about a month to the deadline. Maybe they pull off a wing trade, a wing addition trade, um, some shooting off the bench maybe somewhere. You don't know what the Pelicans could do. They got a lot of assets, and, uh, so they can make a, maybe make a move ultimately. Maybe they get into that De'Aaron Fox race. Devontae Graham is good. He's not De'Aaron Fox. Um, so maybe they get into that De'Aaron Fox race with Sacramento. Who knows? Um, and also, the Pelicans have the ultimate. They have Zion Williamson chilling in the cut. Now, he's recovering from an injury, but let's say Zion gets back March 1st. The Pelicans are sitting in 10th. Well, 10th through 6th may only be separated by three or four games with 15, 16 games to go. Will they catch six? Doubt it. But could they firm themselves to host the first round of play-in? Absolutely. Um, and so the Pelicans are in one of the best positions out there. The Hawks as well. The Hawks are dealing with a lot of BS right now. They made a move I didn't necessarily love, uh, which was Cam Reddish sending him to the Knicks. Um, he recant, Apparently, he requested a trade due to playing time, due to role, and he ultimately was granted that. Um, they traded him and Solomon Hill to the Knicks for um, Kevin Knox, a 2022 first-round pick, uh, courtesy of someone else, Thunder, I believe. Uh, not Thunder, Nets, maybe. I don't know. But a 2022 first-round pick and then a 2023 second-round pick, um, courtesy of the Nets, went to um, the Hawks in return. So the Hawks now possess three first-round picks. Um, so maybe the Hawks make a move. Obviously, the Ben Simmons thing exists. Maybe they make a move. Uh, and according to many teams out there, everyone is available on the Hawks whose last name is not Young or Capella. So odd that they would make you know, that Collins is seemingly available and Capella is not. Um, so that is interesting. If I was them, I would probably flip that. I would have um, I would have Collins un- untouchable and Capella available, but. I don't, I don't know what that's about, but hey, maybe again, opposing teams said it. So I believe them on Young Capella, but maybe, you know, Collins is available. The price is just really high. So they're saying he's unavailable. You never know how teams say these kind of things. Um, so maybe the Hawks make a move. They have three first round picks now. Uh, so maybe they make the move. Um, Boston is in a situation where they could either be really good, they might add a piece, or they may blow up Brown and Tatum. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming Brown to be the odd person out considering Tatum is a better basketball player than Brown. He seems to be well more liked by the Celtics um, in terms of trade discussions than Brown. Um, so that is an interesting switch there. Um, another team I'm keeping my eye on. And of course, they've caught the national attention. That was the Grizzlies. We know what the Grizzlies remind me of. Those Derrick Rose Bulls teams. Because it's one person. In the grand scheme of life, it's one person. It's not the 2017 Warriors where it was Steph and Clay and KD and Dre. It's, it's not the LeBron Cavs teams. It was Love, Kyrie, and LeBron. Or LeBron's Heat teams, Wade, Bosch, LeBron. Hell, LeBron's current team, Russell Westbrook, AD, LeBron. It's, you know, it's, it's not Phoenix where Chris Paul can kill you, Book can kill you, Aiden can go off. Pretty much, it's Ja. And it's massively impressive, but it's one of the situations where they roll into town. All this young injury, all this young youth, all this young energy, boundless athleticism from John Morant, they could beat 11 people in a row. They, they smashed people in this run. They beat the Warriors. They've beaten the Suns. Uh, they've blown out of lesser teams, you know. In the playoffs against a great, 
veteran team, the game slows down, the refs swallow their whistle a little more, the vets can lean on your body. I don't see how the Grizzlies, I mean, who's the Grizzlies second best player? Dylan Brooks? Oh, Jaron Jackson Jr.? Like, I, I don't see where John Morant's quote unquote help would be in order to um, win in the playoffs. I mean, Lakers, Grizzlies first round, I got the Lakers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the best player on the floor would be LeBron. The second best player on the floor would be Anthony Davis, in theory. Then you'd have John Morant. Then you have Jaron Jackson Jr. Then it would be Russ and then a bunch of Lakers follow. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's just it's just the way the cookie's going to crumble, unfortunately. What if Kawhi and them come back for the playoffs? They're a seven seed or a six seed playing the Grizzlies first round. The Grizzlies are going to get smashed by Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Because Kawhi and Paul George are going to take turns guarding him. Who else is going to score the basketball? You see what I'm saying? Um, the Warriors were riding high, and then Giannis runs through them last night. Because when it, when great teams, when good great players figure it out, right? And I'm pretty sure the Lakers are gonna figure it out. Now it's 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 Russ versus wins right now in terms of um, what's actually happening with the Lakers organization. That it seems to be Russ is fighting the ability for them to win basketball games. Um, but at the same time, they're going to figure it out. They're leaning on people. You know, LeBron's playing at an MVP level that we haven't seen him play at in years. Um, you've got Anthony Davis still recovering from his MRI. He's shooting around now. He's still wearing the brace when he does it, but he's shooting around now. Um, so I don't think he's standing going to hold very much longer. But I do think it'll be a very interesting season now. This is what, January 14th? By Valentine's Day, they could look exactly the same. And then at that point, they are who they are. But I, I suspect by All-Star break, which is not too far away, the Lakers may have slid up a couple spots. The Clippers come down. The Trailblazers come down. The Pelicans maybe 9 or 10. Um, Boston maybe sliding up a little bit. Atlanta maybe upticking a little bit. I don't expect Chicago to hold that spot, especially because Brooklyn now may be getting a 5K fine a game and Kyrie can play at home. And if Kyrie can play at home, then the Nets are going to be fine. The Nets are going to be really fine. They might, you know, they might they have 14 losses now. They might finish with 20 if Kyrie if Kyrie can play the rest of the season um, with a small fine. Because what they did to the Bulls was mean. I'm not. It was it was mean. Um, absolutely brutal. It was 71-71. You look up again. It was what 101 81 or 111 81 something. They went like a 40 something 10 run on the Bulls, uh, but that's what they can do when they're healthy uh, and healthy and whole. And then, of course, um, the long, unwavering saga that is Ben Simmons versus the Sixers. Um, Rich Paul flew to Philadelphia um, to meet with Daryl Morey, Elton Brand, and the rest of the crew, and it was a pointless meeting, apparently. The Sixers remain unchanged in their ability to, or in their willingness to accept a, a lesser trade um, and Ben Simmons has not wavered in the fact he's unwilling to play for the 76ers. So the Sixers are going to keep finding him. Um, ben Simmons is going to continue not playing basketball games. The Sixers are going to continue shopping him. But this this situation, this situation to me, lasts another month. If it's the day after the trade deadline and Ben Simmons is still a Sixer, now he has to decide if he's going to play basketball this season because he can't not play on the Sixers at that point. Um, also, the Sixers, if you're really trying to hold out for the best possible deal, you got a month. Otherwise, you have to move him. You may move him for what you consider pennies on the dollar, but he can't come back in that locker room. The, the team has moved on. 
Okay, Maxi has those minutes now. Thibault's getting those minutes now. The pecking order is clearly Embiid one, Harris two, fill in whoever's three. Um, you can't put Ben back in that locker room. So at this point, this has to end by the trade deadline. This cannot go into next offseason. It can't because then you're playing the same saga over and in. Um, and at one point, Darren Moore and them was comfortable saying, "Man, we got four years of his contract, so he's not going." You know, but at, you can't you can't do this a year. Is Ben Simmons going to sacrifice a year of his basketball career? I don't know. But someone, some, something's going to have to give in a month. Either Ben's going to have to decide he's coming back or the going to have to decide to move on. I don't see Ben sitting out an entire season. What is he, 25, 26? I don't see him sitting out an entire season in his prime. Um, but we're going to find out. Um, again, I, I, I wouldn't. I would just trade him if I'm Philly. Like, what's the point of holding a player captive? Ben Simmons can still net you back two good role players and a couple of picks. Well, you're in need of a little more defense. You need of a little more rebounding. You need of a little bit more shooting. Um, and you don't have a true point guard. So why didn't you get in the Rondo situation? Rondo's not a great shot, but hell, he's a point guard. You know, like, why didn't you get into some of these? Ba- De'Aaron Fox. Why not trade him to Kings? If De'Aaron Fox is available, trade Ben Simmons for De'Aaron Fox. Throw in a couple picks on your side, and you get De'Aaron Fox. Boom. It's problem solved. Jalen Brown. I, I don't think the Boston Celtics will take him, but like Jalen Brown. Like, there's situations for the Philadelphia Eagles to rectify this, their their problem that they have, and they just aren't taking it. I think the bingo trade is the Kings with De'Aaron Fox, um, but they're gonna have to figure something out because this cannot bleed into next season. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a talk on the national championship game. Uh, congratulations to the University of Georgia. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the national championship game. Uh, we're actually going to congratulate. We're not going to talk about the game. We're going to congratulate the University of Georgia, Kirby Smart, Stetson Bennett, um, Herschel Walker, you know, the rest of the University of Georgia fan base for that win um, in the national championship game. Kudos to them. It's the first championship in 41 years, I believe. The last time they won was 1981. And again, there was no true, I call them true champion, where one and two, whatever, played on the field and won it. Uh, they were number one going into the bowl season, won their bowl game, and was declared champion by the AP. Probably, I mean, they deserved it. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the true champ era where the BCS started in 2000, 99, 2000, uh, where at least you had to earn it on the field. It was kind of the polling system still, although it was pretty much well accepted by that point. Um but congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. Great game. Um, they made Bryce Young look normal. I mean, he'd had a great season. He, I mean, it looked almost fairy tale when they, especially the drive against Auburn to win the Iron Bowl against uh, Auburn and TJ Finley on one leg. Um, you know, then they go to the ACC title game. Georgia has the first bad game of the season. They rip it apart. Um, I mean, did the game turn on Jamison Williams tearing his ACL? Yeah. Because then the speed advantage goes away. So 
Georgia was getting run sideline to sideline because Jamison Williams and the rest of that crew was just running it sideline to sideline. That big, towering Jordan Davis and the rest of that crew up front were going sideways and eliminates their ability, which is power and strength. Did the game change? The strategy change? I mean, one of the reporters heard um, the D.C. Dan Lanning, who's, the guy who's now the head coach at Oregon, tell his team, one is gone. So the big speed advantage they had over us no longer exists. One is gone. And you already didn't have Mechie. So with no Mechie and no Jamison Williams, they're normal. You know, like, you know, we, we have the ability now to play our regular defense and not have to worry about getting thrashed sideline to sideline just with pure raw speed. I mean, Jamison Williams scored a touchdown in the ace title game, SEC title game that was silly. It was like a short route. He looks up and fly through the rest of the people in the zone. It was it was ridiculous. It was it was a perfect microcosm of they're just too they're they're just too fast. Um but hey take nothing away from Georgia. Stetson Bennett um recovered from that fumble that could have lost in the game to go perfect the rest of the game. Um crazy story a red shirt freshman catches the game winning pick. Um Stetson Bennett his story is amazing. Uh, Kirby Smart's an alumni of Georgia. He's got a national championship now. Um, Georgia legend. I mean, he'll have a statue. <laughs> I mean, it's just... And so many years of trying to fight over the hump. So many top two recruiting classes, top three recruiting classes, just to get this to lose to Bama or blow one against Florida. Mostly lose to Bama. Um, and so for them, lost to LSU. You know, Bama wasn't even there in 2019. The LSU comes and beats them. Um... There's so many years trying to fight over the hump with Georgia specifically. And then now you get Kirby Smart in that mix. You get Kirby Smart, who's a fighter. Stetson Bennett, who's a fighter. Georgia, who's been fighting for years to get over the hump. And they finally put it off, beating Bama uh, 33-18 in a a game that felt crowd-wise, 65-35 Georgia advantage. Um, And so they celebrated all through the night. You had Quavo on the field and... Isaiah Leaper just massively celebrated. So, huge moment for Georgia. Uh, the state of Georgia, specifically Athens, uh, celebrated probably all night. Probably still celebrating. Um, the hilarious clip of Stetson Bennett on Good Morning America the morning after, uh, where he looked like he had woken up or never went to sleep. Um, so, amazing, amazing performance uh, by Georgia. Congratulations to them. But before we wrap up, on a personal note, um, I had an amazing experience over the weekend during week 18 and during that championship game. Um, I was an intern, actually, for the College Gridiron Showcase, um, which is an all-star type game similar to the Senior Bowl, the Hula Bowl, Tropicana Bowl, if you guys are familiar with that. Um, and I was an intern. So for that, I was working what they call CGSU, um, which and interning for effectively interning for the NFL team. I was running, going to get players, uh, assisting in scouting and different other tasks. Really cool inside experience and experience that I know doesn't exist anywhere else. Like when guys say, oh, I'm going to attend the senior bowl. They're literally going to watch the practices, watch the game, and that's it. Um, they don't get a behind the scenes into weigh-ins. They don't get to participate in hand and arm measurements. They don't get to run player for scouts. You know, different things of that nature introduce themselves to scouts. I mean, they I talk to a scout or two for a couple of minutes, but it's not the all access pass, basically, that CGS uh, provided for me and 20 others uh, from all across the country. So absolutely amazing experience. Huge shout out to Jose Jefferson, um, who is the owner and CEO of CGS. Uh, Neil Stratton, 
famously of inside the league. He's on the board at CGS. Um, Coach Mike, who's also there at CGS as well. Um, uh, Mr. Craig, who's there as well. Um, massive shout out to those guys. It's Craig, Craig, big shout out to those guys for putting the event on, for having it run so seamlessly. We were the first class, and it didn't feel like it. I mean, it was a couple of moments where maybe you, okay, yeah, like, okay, we're the guinea pigs kind of thing. But it was, for the most part, it was seamless. Huge shout out to them um, and the NFL scouts as well for taking the time to talk with, with us, allow, the, allow us to help them, business card exchange, all that. Huge shout out to them. But that is all we have uh, for today. Um, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. This is your host, as always, Justin Jackson, signing out.